As if the McCrispy couldn't get any better, bacon and ranch just entered the chat. The Bacon Ranch McCrispy, available at participating McDonald's for a limited time. Ba da ba ba ba. Davis steps under center. Gibson and McClendon behind it. Davis with motion by Richard. Will get the ball to McClendon. He leaps. Oh, he doesn't get in. He fumbled the football. Carolina holds. The game is over. And Carolina has won the game. Finley to throw. Over the middle. Intercepted. Wolfuck again. Wolfuck the other way. At the 30. The 40. Wolfuck to midfield. Miles Wolfuck with the pick. The heels on the doorstep of an enormous victory. Left side of the line. Hood standing to Williams is right. Williams gonna throw. One on one. Davis has it. Touchdown. Carolina wins. Carolina is the Coastal Division champion. Bernard fields it at the 26. Heading to the far side. Gio at the 35. Gio, he's at the 50. No, he's not. Yes, he is. Gio, he's gonna take it for a touchdown. Are you kidding me? Connor Barth for the possible win. Snap, spot, kick away, high enough, long enough. It's good! It's good! Carolina has won the game on a 42-yard field goal by freshman Connor Barth. Good gosh, dirty. This is the Heel Tough Blog Podcast. Hey guys, and welcome to another edition of the Heel Tough Blog Podcast. It's your host, Anthony Pagnotta, with you guys as always. And tonight, back on the 2023 recruiting trail, we are here to tell you about three commitments that Carolina has landed in the last week, uh, as well as a a commitment that uh, we will preview at the end a little bit uh, this weekend from uh, one of Carolina's biggest targets remaining in the class as we continue to close in uh, on what is basically the end of this, the major portion of this recruiting cycle for Carolina. Most of their targets already uh, sort of wrapping up their commitments. So uh, we've got some things that we got to talk about here on the podcast tonight. Also in there, uh, Carolina does lose a commitment to NC State, um, but we will tell you a little bit about him and I think there's a there, there's a reason to still be a little bit optimistic if you are a Carolina fan with that one. So stick around for that. But first, we got to welcome in my co-host for this evening, the guy that handles all the recruiting stuff for us here on the podcast side of things. Zach Hubbard is with us, and uh, Zach, how's it going tonight, man? It's been a little bit since we've talked to you. There's been uh, some action here in the last couple of days, but. Uh, I think, you know, Carolina once again sort of stabilizing themselves as they were starting to fall down some of those recruiting rankings, but now really solidifying themselves once again in this class. Yeah, absolutely. We saw a little bit of a break there for a while, not too much movement, but here in the last week, you know, it's it's all come together with some new commitments and uh, excited to break those down tonight. Yeah, and look, the first one that we'll start with is Honestly, one of the more interesting guys in this class in terms of how his recruitment went. So with Joshua Horton, I mean, this is the story of a guy that, you know, at a time, he was one of those guys that we talked about here on on this podcast. 
He was a guy that was scheduled to come to Carolina. We saw that early in the month of June, and we said to ourselves, you know, we haven't really heard a lot about him. And then when you started diving deeper into his recruitment, it was a guy that was heavily tied to Auburn, um, also had, you know, a decent tie to Central Florida. And I think a lot of Toriel fans sort of pushed him to the back burner a little bit and sort of took him off of their radar but this was a guy that the Toriel staff valued, I think, more than a lot of people realized. And that started to show once he got on campus. And Carolina, you know, the staff really showed him how much they valued him. And I think that paid off in the long run for Carolina in this recruitment. And they end up landing his commitment uh, this past Saturday. Um, and, and Or, excuse me, this past Friday. And it was a big one, right before his uh, it, it, the kickoff to his senior season. And man, this is one that Carolina, I think, you know, over the last couple of weeks, really started to value, especially now. With uh, you know, honestly, I don't know if you would label it confusion, pause, whatever you want to about da uh, Davian Hobbs and what's going on with his situation. So, uh, Zach, this was one that again, we like we said at the time when he had set his uh, his official visit. Um, and even up until he made his official visit, it was really one of those ones that we kind of questioned, would he actually make it to campus? But now here we are just a couple of months later, and we're sitting here with uh, him as a commitment in this 2023 Tario class. Yeah, like you mentioned, he was a guy that we were somewhat unsure about. Obviously, there were quite a number of defensive line prospects that North Carolina was courting at the time. Um, that were still involved, guys like Jamal Jarrett, like you mentioned, David Hobbs, a few other guys in there, and they already have quite a number of guys committed uh, that would fit that uh, label of defensive line prospect, uh, not including Horton. They had some edge guys, uh, Jabron Harvey, Rico Walker, Tyler Thompson sort of fit on the edge, uh, and then an interior guy in Joel Starlings. Um, so that they do want to take a larger defensive line class, but they had multiple options there. We saw, like I mentioned, Jamal Jarrett go elsewhere, uh, but got Horton in on this visit and really connected there. It, in terms of his recruitment, it looked for a while like Auburn could be the likely selection. Uh, local UCF was also a very sort of trendy pick in this one, uh, but North Carolina was able to pull it off with that official visit. I think with a lot of these guys, both that have already committed prior to this week, and then those that um, have committed here recently, that official visit in Chapel Hill has been more than once cited as you know really the deciding factor here. And it seems like it played a big role with Joshua Horton. Now, just for a breakdown of them, out of Fairburn, Georgia, listed at 6'5", 290. Uh, when I look at a guy like Horton, I see a guy that can play multiple positions on the defensive line. Uh, he could be sort of that big end, sort of that strong side defensive end, if you want to use that label. It could be a three technique, potentially. Um, I, I'd probably lean more towards three technique at the time, just based that he's already at 290. Uh, but he is long, has a good size at 6'5", so probably not necessarily going to be you know, a, your nose tackle, but certainly has that uh, versatility along the line. But, you know, he's a strong guy. He's a guy that even though he still has some work to do in terms of hand placement, pass rush moves, things along those lines, uh, which is pretty common uh, for defensive 
linemen at that level. I mean, he's a power five guy just based on the fact that you see that strength. You see him win without using sort of advanced technique, advanced moves. It's just, you know, natural God-given gifts and effort to develop that strength. And then there's some plays that you look here and you see a guy that, um, you know, when he does use the pass move, when he does use a swim move, something like that, it, there's really not a lot that you can do as an offensive lineman against him. He'll get past you, and then it's pure motor to the quarterback. So really good pickup, probably not a an early contributor sort of guy, but that's most you know incoming freshmen. They're not expected to be earlier contributors, but you know a lot to like here, a lot to work with, and just another guy that came to Chapel Hill, fell in love, and is now committed to the Tar Heels. Yeah, you're right. I think especially for a guy like him, and there's a couple of guys in this class that I think that that mantra of a guy that you know you were uncertain about until he got to campus, and that sort of changed everything. Horton is is probably the guy that represents that the best, um, and you know I think that Carolina staff probably had him higher on their board than a lot of people thought they did. Um, and then, you know, of course, with, with Auburn uh, being, you know, looking like they were in control, I think a lot of people were kind of wondering, you know, would Carolina still have him high on their board? Would they still value him or would they be pushing for some other guys? And I think Carolina's staff probably valued him a little more than we realized, as I said. But I think, you know, and at the end of the day, it was, you know, due to some of the other circumstances for sure, Carolina turned up the heat at the right time. And they end up landing him. And in terms of what they're getting, you know, this is this is one of those weirder prospects. Because i got to be honest with you, I had not watched uh, any of his tape before he was getting ready to commit. And when I looked at the measurables, I was expecting this to be a guy that was probably a nose tackle, um, was probably a guy that was going to be maybe a run clogger, whatever. Um, this is not... The type, that is not the type of player that he is. It is the complete opposite. This is a guy that, you know, look, his hand is in the dirt um, most of the time on film, but he's also a guy that, sh that, that did a little bit of standing up as an edge rusher. Um, now, I will say this. I think, you know, the 290, I wonder if that is something that was added in the offseason because looking at his film, he doesn't have the profile of a guy that's 290, but that may also be because of just the, the pure size that he has. I mean, he is a lanky guy, um, and, and I think Carolina, you know, th this is kind of the profile that they've looked for uh, with their guys, is trying to find some of these guys that are longer. I mean, he's 6'5", 290, so maybe it is, if you go back and look at the film, maybe that is a guy that weighs 290. Um, the thing that's going to be important here for Carolina, we've seen it, you know, even with guys that are rated much, much higher than him. Um, the, the prime example that I will use right now is, is Keyshawn Silver. It's about finding where he fits on this defensive line. Is this a guy that Carolina wants to, you know, sort of turn into that power end? Because I think he's, you know, got some capabilities out there. As you mentioned, you know, plays with a physical edge. I don't think that's the thing that really shines the most. Um, he definitely has a little bit of finesse to his game. He likes to use some of those technical pass moves, uh, primarily the swim move. He uses that a pretty decent amount on film. Um, and, you know, I, I think that he he's a guy that is, is a project, but I think, you know, you can see, as you mentioned, and this is something that we've talked so much about with a bunch of guys in this class,
he has one of the things outside of the physical attributes that you I'm not going to say you can't teach it, but it's really, really hard to teach it. And that's the motor. You're looking, there are so many guys in this class for Carolina that when you turn on the film, especially on that defensive side of the ball, you see guys that love football. You see guys that want to play hard every single snap. And that's what Carolina has frankly been lacking. I mean, going back... Maybe the first time that Gene Chizik was here, but it might be all the way back consistently to the Butch Davis era. So I think this is another one of those guys that kind of you know plays with you know enough of a physical edge. I think that's an area you probably want to see a little bit more from him on film, especially with a guy at his size. But it's a guy that has the motor, brings it every play, and if you can just find where exactly he fits on this defensive line. I think that Carolina is is going to have, you know, a, a pretty good prospect here. I think he's, you know, one of those guys that is going to fly under the radar. He's one of the lower ranked uh, players in the class. But hey, we'll talk about another one here that just committed last night um, that I think kind of fits that same billing as well. And those are some of the guys that can kind of come out of nowhere. Uh, and really become the stars of these classes along with some of those really talented guys um, and maybe even surpass some of those guys that are kind of in the middle, that are in that, you know, that, that 400, 500 overall range um, because they have the work ethic and everything like that. Now, Zach, here's the other big question that I think comes out of this now for Carolina. Uh, is, look, they just landed him. You've already got Joel Starlings committed to the class, as, as you mentioned earlier. People have a lot of questions about David Hobbs at this point and where exactly David Hobbs sort of slots in. The question now is, is do you think that Carolina is filled up? Was Joshua Horton a guy that they took because they don't believe that David Hobbs is coming? Or do you think that David Hobbs is still an option, potentially, for Carolina to land in this class? As of right now, I would say that David Hobbs is probably still an option in this class. Um, we did see, you know, he was set to commit on August the 1st. He did delay that. will likely go through most of the fall, I feel like, um, uncommitted. Might com- commit, you know, sometime in November or December now, it looks like. Um, and we've seen other teams get in the mix for him. We've seen, you know, after a summer visit in, in camp, Alabama has entered the mix. Georgia has turned up the heat. Uh, Clemson is obviously a player in there. He officially visited or was planning to officially visit. I'm not sure if he made it at Auburn. So obviously they are, you know, trying to play a role there. But, um, you know, I think that this is a recruitment that North Carolina is still in a good spot for. Uh, has a sister, I believe, that plays soccer that looks pretty um, strongly like she could uh, go to North Carolina if she hasn't already committed. Um, so it does have that family aspect. And then, of course, just the proximity is going to play in North Carolina's favor, depending on how much that matters uh, to David in his ultimate decision. But it, but it is one where North Carolina is, is less of a sure thing than they were before, I would say that. In, in terms of the overall numbers, like I said previously, uh, it could be multiple scenarios. Like, we've sort of speculated earlier they've got a number of edge guys committed that might be where he ends up um if he was to commit to north carolina so they they might just be you know folded back position they might have decided to get more of an interior guy 
in Joshua Horton, but it could also be a scenario in which, you know, at, at, for a time they were looking to get both Hobbs and then maybe a Jamal Jarrett. They obviously, you know, looked at a minute for Keith Sampson Jr. So I, I think it's a legitimate scenario in which they could take sort of six guys that we would classify as defensive linemen at the edge specifically. You know, they're going to have uh, quite a number of guys this upcoming year that would classify as upperclassmen. Um, so they're going to have opportunities there. They're going to need numbers there. And, you know, it's one of those positions where they're always going to want to have a little bit of surplus. Um, generally, you know, at some of those premier positions like uh, like quarterback, offensive, defensive line, wide receiver specifically, they want to have numerous options as best they can. So, you know, it, it's really hard to say right now. There's really not a clear indication as of today as of what's going to happen with David Hobbs. Uh, I want to see you know, if and when he decides to return to campus. I think that's going to be you know, a big indicator for me. As you hear people in recruiting say all the time, follow the visits. Well, for me, that's going to be a big indicator as to whether or not you know, North Carolina is going to be a major player in this race moving forward. But I still think it's at least an option. It'll be sort of wait and see for the time being. Yeah, no, I, I would agree with you on that. I think also, you know, this is another guy. Figure out where exactly you're going to use him. Now, if you look at, you know, the edge rushers that Carolina's bringing in, his body style, I mean, he's a lot bigger already than a lot of those guys there. So it makes you wonder, do they project him as potentially a guy that they would try to make into a three-technique defensive lineman, do they have those guys already here? And, and again, that goes into what are they doing with Joshua Horton. I think that Carolina would still take his commitment. There's no doubt in my mind that Carolina would still take his commitment if he wanted to come. I think now the question becomes is, you know, how long does Carolina wait? I, I think he fits that elite prospect billing that we've talked about so much when it comes to them taking uh, extra guys at positions, but the thing is, is how long are they willing to hold on and hold off on you know potentially other guys that they think could fit this class at other spots if they have a number that they are capping off on? So we'll we'll have to see. Um, like you said, getting him back on campus would be huge because this recruitment is going into the fall. Um, as you mentioned, Alabama is a team that has gotten into the fold for him. They are not hosting him for an official visit until October 22nd. So at the least, he is going to probably wait until then and probably a little bit afterwards. So Carolina, I think, has a shot here. I, I, I still think they do. It's just, do they now... It, it, the staff has to really look at themselves and say, do we have room in this class to add David Hobbs? Uh, and, and I think ultimately they have to ask themselves, do we think that he is an elite enough prospect for us to make room in this defensive line unit? Because if you look at the defensive front, Carolina's got five guys that are committed if you include the edges. Um, so that is a lot already coming in in that portion of the class. Adding a six guy, you know, again, I think, you know, you can never have too many guys, but do remember that Carolina has stacked up their last few years as well. So it'll be interesting to see how they approach that here over the next couple of months. Well, we're going to take a quick break and uh, we're going to come back right after this and we're going to tell you about two commitments 
in one day for Carolina. And along with that, we're going to tie in a guy that did not commit to Carolina at one of the position groups where they landed somebody yesterday. But do we think Carolina may still be in the running for him? Stick around here on this edition of the Heel Tough Vlog Podcast. Football fans, join the next generation of fantasy football with Rainmakers Football, their first ever NFT fantasy game from DraftKings. It's the only NFT fantasy game licensed by the NFLPA. Now you can play all season for millions in prizes by building the ultimate NFT franchise. Right now, everyone can get their first full roster starter pack for free. Playing Rainmakers is simple. Buy, sell, bid, and win player card NFTs of the biggest names in the game through regular drops and auctions on DraftKings Marketplace. Craft lineups of athletes from your NFT collection and earn points for touchdowns, receptions, and more, just like daily fantasy football. Build your NFT franchise and enter free Rainmakers football contest all season long to compete for millions in prizes. The next generation of fantasy sports is here. Download the DraftKings Daily Fantasy app now. Sign up with the promo code TPPN, click the Rainmakers tile, and opt in to get your first card free. Plus, play for millions in prizes all season long while building the ultimate NFT fantasy franchise with Rainmakers football. That's promo code TPPN. Build, play, win. Only at DraftKings. Contest entries dependent on type and number of NFTs held. Eligibility restrictions apply. Void where prohibited. See DraftKings.com for details. Hey guys, welcome back in. Heel Tough Blog Podcast. Anthony Pagnata. Zach Hubbard with you guys. And let's get into the two guys that did commit last night. Um, and it started earlier in the afternoon. Uh, it was originally scheduled for 3.15. It was announced at 3.45 that Paul Billups, the, the second, a three-star wide receiver at a Western Branch High School in Chesapeake, Virginia, that is the high school that Dre Bly attended, uh, was committing to Carolina over Michigan State and Virginia Tech. There was a little bit of a scare from a tweet that was sent out earlier in the day from uh, Coach Glover. Of course, that is uh, the father of Tony Grimes. But everything went as expected. He ends up committing to Carolina. And uh, this is one that Zach, I think, felt pretty sweet for Carolina fans, especially after the news of the team missing on Kevin Concepcion, who we'll talk about here a little bit in a minute. But Ultimately, Zach, you know, we had kind of talked about this a little bit uh, when we were breaking down the wide receivers earlier in the cycle and we were talking about what Carolina needs at wide receiver. Look, Kevin Concepcion is a a three-star wide receiver bordering on a four-star wide receiver uh, out of this this state. Um, So, of course, you always want to take care of the home state. But it feels like, you know, Carolina has Christian Hamilton committed in the class, who we look at as a guy that's probably going to make the majority of his impact, you know, either as a slot receiver, as a thinner outside receiver. Uh, So he'll probably be able to rotate back and forth. But we, we looked at Paul Billups and thought that this was the type of guy that Carolina needed in this class because of the fact that they really just aren't all that deep on the outside at receiver, especially guys uh, that have good length on the outside. So, you know, in the end, did, did Carolina end up getting the guy that probably fit their needs more, or are you not with me on that? Yeah, I mean, I think that it could have gone either way. Uh, 
for me and sort of as we've discussed, they've been looking for a while. Um, they've had, you know, good, good slot players. Um, they've had, you know, guys like Daz Newsom. They've had Josh Downs. They've had some options on the outside. Obviously, we've seen numerous guys throughout the past few years uh, in the Matt Brown tenure. We've seen a guy like Deontay Brown that, you know, wasn't, you know, six four and up, but was a guy that, you know, made his made his hay sort of going downfield vertically uh, and catching the football. We've seen guys sort of in in the red zone the past few years. Uh, a guy like Bo Corrales that has since left the program that, you know, you throw up a 50-50 ball, he's turning it into an 80-20 ball. And that's sort of been what we focused on is as we've seen the offense um, struggle to some extent in the red zone, they, they've, you know, not been one of the, even though they've been, you know, top 20, top Ten, even an offense at times in the metrics, the red zone has struggled when they haven't had guys like a Javante Williams and Michael Carter back there. And mm-hmm. you know they've had to make up for that. We saw this past season they had to make up with the running of Sam Howell uh, because they haven't had really that vertical passing threat they've been able to rely on in that sort of short yardage situation when they haven't had the space that you have sort of in between the twenties. So they've been looking for a guy to sort of fill that role. We think that could uh, and might be Andre Green in the next few years, but they're always going to need a quantity quantity of that guy. You're going to have, you know, slot guys. You're going to have your, you know, Josh Downs. You're going to have potentially your um, Doc Holloway in the past class. Um, But they need guys that can just go up and get the football in those situations. That's, That's part of the offense. So, I think that Paul Phillips really sort of in, in, you know, he sort of encapsulates that. Does he do it better than Concepcion? I don't know if I'd say that one way or the other, but he is a guy that sort of fulfills your needs, comparison or no comparison. When you put on his film, you know, he's a guy that that's a lot of what he does, whether it be for his high school there in Virginia, whether it be on seven on seven, uh, about six, two, six, three, he's got good long arms. So, you know, he's good at getting vertical and then sort of using his arms to make plays, you know, away from his body if need be. I really like that. Um, I, I, you put on his film, you see that his high school uses him a lot in screens, which I thought was interesting for a guy his size. Mm-hmm. They're really letting him get the football and then go make plays, go make plays down the field, go make plays in space, uh, which is he going to have those same opportunities, you know, in the college game as compared to high school? Probably not. They'll likely be reduced. You know, it's a different level of speed and athleticism. But it is a nice little piece to take there that he's not just a, he's not just a big body that you go throw it up for and he goes and gets it. He, he is a guy that you know knows how to run routes. He's a guy that knows how to work in space. And so you know you feel good if if you give him. Um, if you give him, you know, like a 10 yard pass, he can catch it and maybe he'll turn it into, you know, he'll get you those extra yards. Maybe he'll turn it into a 12 or 15, you know, yarder as opposed to just that catch it at the 10 and drop, which I really like. Um, and, and he's legitimately fast too. I think one of his best traits from what I see is his speed in the straight line. So, you know, you put him on the outside, you have him running just vertical down the sideline you've got a really, really good option there. So, you know, like you said, in, in terms of that need to, you know, have a, a vertical passing threat, not only down the field, but 
legitimately up in the air over defenders to catch him the football. I feel like he sort of fills that void. They've obviously had no issue, you know, getting guys that can that can move in space. And we do see the college games sort of going more towards that where you see these guys in between, you know, 5'11 and 6'1 that just catch the ball in space and make plays. And that is more of what conception is. So, you know, if that if that's what you're looking for is just an offense based completely of those guys, then yes, that is a miss there. But, you know, like I said, Paul Billups offers a different type of receiver and a receiver that's still valuable in the college game. So, you know, really whichever one they got, I was happy with either one. I like both of those prospects. Um, but I do like Paul Billups to um, complement what they got in guys like Christian Hampton and Chris Culliver. And then the guys that they already have on campus, like you mentioned, they've got a lot of guys that can – you know, can play inside or out, but are more inside. So, you know, finding more of those options that can play specifically on the outside, that's never going to be a bad thing. Yeah, and I mean, that's, you brought it up. I think one of the areas that you're looking for when you're recruiting, you know, really in these last two classes, and they got the guy in 2022, but you're looking for those red zone threats. Andre Green Jr. looks like he's going to be able to fulfill that role for you. But there's a reason why Carolina is looking at having to move Bryson Nesbitt out to receiver and play out there because they just don't have guys that can win the 50-50 balls. And look, I think one of the biggest aspects with this offense, and I've talked about it multiple times both here on the recruiting editions of the podcast and on the, you know, the, the game preview, you know, the regular in-season, off-season editions of the podcast. You need a guy that can take the top off of the defense. There's no doubt about that. You need that deep threat. But you also need that guy that, at times, you can just throw a ball down the field 50-50 and a guy is going to go up and make a play. And I thought, at his peak, what we saw really in 2020, you saw that from Deami Brown. And we didn't see that last year. There were moments late in the year where you kind of got that from Antoine Green, but it wasn't consistent enough. And Carolina's got to find that guy moving forward. Look, maybe it is Andre Green Jr., but here's the thing. You're recruiting this class right now, and you don't know if that is what he's going to be. Chris Culliver's a guy that, you know, he does some of that on film, but I don't think that's really his strength. With Paul Billups, if you go back and watch his sophomore film, that's more of the type of role that they used him in that season. Last year, as you mentioned, a lot of what it was was them trying to get him the ball through screenplays, really just trying to get the football in the hands of one of their best athletes. And look, you can't blame them. That team won 10 games. Western Branch High School hadn't won 10 games since 2013. So their goal was, hey, let's get it in our best player's hands and let's let him go to work. And I, I wonder, you know, if you watch them this year, will there be anything different? Even still, you can't always look at the prep level and say that's exactly what a guy is going to be. But I think you, you've, you saw that ability to climb the ladder and make, 
it's it's unorthodox catches. It's it's catches where you know he's he's having to jump in the air and adjust his body to make the catch. It's not easy catches where it's just him going over a five eight five nine DB, and that's the thing that you want to see. So that skill set is there, and Carolina I think needed that in that class. And and like you said, it complements the other guys that Carolina has in this class. And we've talked about that really the last few classes is that Carolina is really looking for, you know, the the receiver on the outside that can take the top off and has a little bit of length. The receiver that can win the 50-50 balls and can be that go-to threat on third downs if they need 10 yards or or, you know, or whatever. And then you've got your slot receiver. Well, Christian Hamilton is a guy that can play in the slot if needed. Here's the other thing with the slot guy. We've heard a lot of really good things so far about Doc Chapman. And he's a guy that, if, if you're looking at the wide receiver depth chart right now, and really just the amount of guys in that room, I know that overall, Mac Brown says the depth is a little thin. I don't think you're going to see a lot of Doc Chapman this year. I think you're going to see a lot of Josh Downs in the slot. And if he's not there, you're probably going to see a lot of Kobe Pacer. So I think that's going to allow him to potentially redshirt. So I don't know how crucial of a need it was to get a slot receiver. Now, that being said, I think that if Concepcion was to, you know, had committed to Carolina, it would certainly be one that they would take and would think, look, we can find a way to use this young man. This is a big addition. But I think for what they needed, this was, this fit more of a need uh, than... You it would have if you would have landed Concepcion. I, I like what you said also, a guy that has pretty good speed. Um, it was a guy that, you know, I had been told by other people that watched his film they didn't really like his speed all that much. Look, I'm not saying that he's the burner that you'll see from R- R- Culliver. I mean, he can fly. He's He's got really good speed. And there's a couple other guys that Carolina's had in recent years that can really turn on the Jets. But... He, you know, you can see with the length that he has, he has long strides. He has some shiftiness in the open field as well. And I think he's a guy that can not only do things pre-snap, but can do things post-snap. Now, the biggest thing for him is going to be how does he develop himself as a as a route runner? Because his route tree in high school is very, very simple. It is usually either some sort of go route or post route. Um, if, if he's going deep, or it's a lot of screenplays. Um, so he's got he's a guy that's going to have to develop a little bit more as a receiver, find more creative ways to get open. But I think that he, he has the capability. It's definitely there. And not to mention, this is a guy that also brings special teams value to you. He punt returned uh, this past year. Um, you would imagine he's probably going to do it again this year. So those types of guys are always extremely valuable to what you do. Um, and, and they can have impacts that way when they first arrive to campus. Now, here's the thing, Zach. I kind of want to tie this in because Carolina now has three commits in the class at wide receiver. Concepcion ends up committing to NC State. But we heard leading up to his commitment, and this was not for a couple of days. This was for a couple of weeks, a couple of months, that this was a legitimate coin flip between State and Carolina. Now, he went with NC State, but 
Am I the only one, Zach, that feels like until that signature hits the page, especially if Carolina can have a bounce-back year this season, is this one of those ones that you, you could see eventually flipping later on down the line? It's certainly possible. It's certainly possible based on how close it was at the end. Now, NC State was the perceived favorite um, and have been for a while, even with North Carolina pushing. So, I, you know, in my opinion, it, it was close, but it was really NCC trying to stave off North Carolina as opposed to a pure even 50-50 going in. Now, it was very close, of course, like you mentioned, but, you know, a lot of that momentum seemed to be with NC State. Obviously, has a very close connection to some of their commits, specifically uh, NC State quarterback commit Lex Thompson, or Thomas Uchimi. Um, now, like you said, if North Carolina is able to have a bounce back year, is that something that he could continue to look at? I mean, when you look at sort of, you know, how this offense uses its wide receivers, we expect, you know, more of a, a bounce back performance from the wide receivers at North Carolina in 2022. Is it possible? Yes, it is. Now, at the same moment, you look at NC State. Uh, they are projected highly this year, should have a good team this year. Um, so that is going to help in their favor. But, you know, anything can happen, especially when, you know, you are in state. Um, these are recruitments where, you know, the teams in state are going to stay in there for a good while. And North Carolina is not going anywhere. It's not, you know, changing to my perception. It, it's still the flagship program and flagship team within the state of North Carolina, uh, regardless of, uh, you know, a year in, year out shift in terms of that. Um, even if NC State does have a good year, that does not change sort of the trajectory that we've seen recruiting-wise in the state of North Carolina. When you look at, you know, who has been able to pull in the talent within the state, um, regardless of on-field results, really just based on an overall team vision, that has been North Carolina. I mean, this is a program that went to an Orange Bowl in 2020. So this is a, a, a team and a program that still has belief within the state. Obviously, as we've discussed previously, uh, we don't expect their year's recruiting class to be quite at the level as we've seen in the past few years, 2021, 2020, along those lines. But it is a still going to be a good recruiting class. And, you know, this is not a program that has shut down as of yet. This is a program that mm -hmm. has... You know, review, renewed vision, renewed focus heading into 2022. I do expect it to be a bounce back here just to give a little, you know, sort of preview of how I expect the Targos to do this year. But um, to go back to the original question, it could be, you know, one where we see, you know, additional looks. It could be one where we see, you know, him as a NC State commit get back on campus at Chapel Hill at some point uh, for one game or the other. So I wouldn't, you know, put it outside of the realm of possibilities. But likely at least for the time being just something to keep in the back of your mind and, and watch out for you know as the season moves forward yeah and, and look i i think that point that you brought up there at the end about getting him back on campus is a very interesting one because it's it's not only him seeking out getting on campus his high school chambers high school is a a school that really values getting their players on campus. And we've seen it multiple times before. Now, granted, most of those guys were uncommitted at the time. It looks like now most of the guys that are significant players for them in that 2023 cycle are committed. So who knows? Maybe they are not taking those guys on these visits. But if they do, 
I, North Carolina would probably be one of the spots that they will attend. They they are a school that I think Carolina wants to build a relationship with. They want to build a relationship with Carolina. So that's certainly an interesting angle to look at from that. And then, you know, in terms of him, you know, personally, again, look, this is not me having talked to him or anything like that. I have no idea if it really was that close, but the amount of different sites that reported that this was legitimately going in, some people did not know where this young man was committing. Just makes me wonder if this is one of those guys that you have to keep an eye on. And, you know, we saw in the past he was a guy that really wanted that Carolina offer. And look, maybe it was just I want the offer from Carolina to say that I've got offers from the two big in-state institutions. But at the same time, it could be one of those ones where, yeah, he, he is still thinking about that. I think, again, part of this, the other element is for Carolina now, you know, I, I, w- I was of the assumption that even if they had landed Concepcion last Saturday, they were still going to take on Paul Billups. I did not think that that was going to be off the table. Carolina, I think, you know, has the capability to add both of those guys there. But the thing is, is that's four receivers in the class. So is that a spot that you're willing to take that many guys at? Out of, you know, the spots that Carolina would be willing to take a lot of players at, I think wide receiver and the position we're about to talk linebacker are probably the spots that Carolina would be willing to add maybe one more guy than they had originally planned to because they are spots that Carolina sort of needs to replenish the overall depth at. And, you know, with wide receiver, you just really don't know. There is a, at this point, I would say a pretty good shot um, that Josh Downs will not be back next year. If he stays on some of the early draft boards where he's at, and granted, it's as a slot receiver, so... Who knows, that could vary. If he shows some things on the outside this year, I think there's no doubt he would be in the first round. But this is a guy that is going to have a legitimate decision to make at the end of the year, not to mention you're pro- you, you would imagine barring a setback that leads to him being able to come back next year, Antoine Green's going to leave as well. So Carolina's going to lose even more from this group. That could be a position that they are more than willing to take four guys at in this class. So I I think that is certainly an interesting element to that. Well, now let's talk about the linebacker position. And look, Carolina lands a guy in the uh, 2023 class last night. Three-star linebacker uh, out of the state of Virginia. Carolina really doing work there with the commitment of Andre, uh, or, or excuse me, Amari Campbell. Carolina now has 12 commitments from the state of Virginia in the last two classes. Five this year, seven a year ago. So once again, Carolina really hitting that that state of Virginia hard. And Zach, this guy, Amari Campbell is a guy that I, when I turned on his film, I could not understand how this was a guy that was rated as low by 24-7 sports composite rankings as he was. Um, His tape, frankly, just blew me away. Um, And I'll just go ahead and tell you right off the top, it's one of those films where if you like tough-nosed defensive players, if you like guys that are going to hit people hard, this is the film for you. 
What did you think about Amore Campbell? Because I, I, I just I could not believe that he was a guy that was ranked this low after watching his tape. Yeah, I'm I'm sort of there with you in terms of where he's where he was ranked, where he is ranked now. Uh, for a long time, he was uh, he was not given a composite ranking, either by two four seven. Still doesn't have one by on three at this time. And, and that's mainly due to the height. Um, some places listed at six foot even, some places listed at 5'10", 5'11". So, you know, the height as a linebacker prospect, as a guy that you're going to put in coverage, that's going to be something that they're going to ding you for. Now, to the extent that he was, I don't think that that is, um, it, it is necessary, especially like you mentioned, when you put on the film. Uh, when you look at his highlights, when you look at his game film, you see a guy that is just you know, a a hunter of the football. And by that, I mean, you know, he is so quick uh, from his position in the back seven to wherever the ball carrier is. It it seems like he always knows, you know, where the ball is going to be and is going to make an impact. Now, you can see, you know, the size of their own film. He's not the biggest guy. He's not the longest guy, but he is a guy that puts his body into any impact. You know that you have he's he's knocking guys you know flat on their back right at the position or point you know of impact he's he's a guy that's you know laying the lumber on um on you know pass catchers sort of in that short yardage area knocking the ball loose um already listed at 215 so he's got good weight can add some more there once he gets into a strength and conditioning program. But, you know, like you mentioned, just the overall, you know, willingness willingness to hit, the willingness to attack the football, uh, no matter who has it. Um, when you look at, you know, the team that we already have here in North Carolina and sort of what the messaging has been from them throughout spring and now throughout fall camp, it's been about a renewed sense of physicality. It's been about a renewed sense of accountability and about effort. We've seen that specifically in the messaging from, you know, the defensive players, the defensive position coaches, the defensive coordinator. Uh, When they've spoken, it's almost always been that sort of, um, you know, callback or coming back to being a physical defense um, that, has been portrayed has been communicated and this is just you know this is a perfect guy i think to add sort of to that mindset and and to the program from that uh i i don't know and personally of course you know there's limited interviews with a high school kid but just based on you know i we've seen guys that play tough that play physical that keep guys accountable and they look how amari campbell looks on film yeah and and we, we talked about it earlier with joshua horton a high motor guy. Every single play, he is looking to knock your head off, and and that is the type of guy that this Carolina defense wants. You're right. I've heard it so many times from the players, and really it, the the main guy that you've heard it from over and over again. Whenever he has been in press conferences, has been Gene Chizik. I want this group to be more physical because yeah one of the big issues for this Toriel defense what we've heard a lot of and what frankly at this point seems to be a correct analysis is that this defense the last few years was soft they would get pushed around there were times where they would be dominated by smaller offensive line groups and everything like that getting to the next level Amari Campbell's a guy that is he is going to be willing to take on just about anybody that they throw his way 
He's uh, as you mentioned, every time that he is in the backfield with a chance to make a play, he lowers the shoulder and makes a big hit. And that's the thing that you want to see. Now again, it is going to be, you know, sort of he he's certainly an aggressive player. He's a guy that looks for the big hit. You're 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 wanting him to probably to, to wrap up and, and focus on that as as the first thing that he's doing when he gets into the backfield. But you also like a guy that is willing to set a tone on the defensive side of the football, that is willing to send a message to the team on the other side. And that is what Amari Campbell can do with the way that he plays. And you see it in you know in the way that he plays the run, the way that he rushes the passer. I mean, there's multiple times on film he comes in on blitzes and just absolutely blows up running backs that are attempting to get a hat on him. And that is something that Carolina, we saw a little bit of that with Chad Surratt, but the thing to always remember about Chad Surratt is this was a guy that had never played the linebacker position when they converted him there before his junior season. So it was a guy that had two really good years of production, but it was also a guy that was learning pretty much the entire time at a position that wasn't natural to him. Amari Campbell plays with the same, if not a little bit more edge, and it's at a position that is natural to him. I think, you know, if, if you're looking for, you know, something to prove to you that, hey, this guy is the real deal, this guy produces at a high level, he has been named since he, he is entering his fourth year of high school this year as a senior at Unity Reed in Manassas, Virginia. And if that, that high school sounds familiar, it should. That's where Sean Murphy, a guy that committed to Alabama, it was a guy that Carolina, I, I think, I think they looked at him and kind of just knew they really didn't stand much of a chance when Alabama prioritized him as one of their top targets in the last cycle. But they've had three guys there for the better part of the last three years that they knew were going to be high-level D1 recruits. And Amari Campbell was one of those guys. And yet, he is a guy that in his region, he has been named to either the first or second team all-region team each of the first three years of his high school career, including second team as a freshman. So this guy, this guy's legit. Um, the height thing, that you're, you're probably right about that. The measurables are always something that can hold these guys back. My thing about that, I'm not really all that concerned about that because I think this is really the definition of a Mike linebacker. Um, I, I think, you know, Power Eccles, you're going to see that's the guy who's going to play Mike for this team for the majority of this season. You may see him drop back into coverage occasionally. For the most part, that is not going to be what Carolina is going to do with him. Amari Campbell is probably that same type of guy. Now, the thing is, is that when I say with his film, I did not see a single pass coverage snap, I mean it. There was not a single pass coverage snap that I saw him play. So that is that that is an area of his game that he is going to have to work on, and that will limit him... Um, from probably making an impact early on. I mean, it could limit him to being a guy that you really only see on run downs, obvious run downs. And that's something that, especially in a game that is pass heavy, is a challenge. But I think if, if you're looking for that tough-nosed middle linebacker, this is the type of guy that Carolina 
wants to add to this room, and I think it's worth taking a risk on because there is certainly upside here. I'm not concerned about his weight. He's the same, you know, same weight as Caleb uh, Lavalli, who is committed to the class. So I think he's fine there. It's just can he sort of develop himself a little bit um, when it comes to pass coverage and everything like that? Because I'll tell you, if if anything. And I think this will probably be from the word go. He has the athleticism. He moves really well. Um, he, he will be an impact guy on special teams. There is no doubt in my mind this dude will be out there on special teams making plays. It's just, can some of those other areas get cleaned up? Another thing I think he's got to work on a little bit, you know, he plays downhill uh, on pretty much every play. He is looking to make a tackle in the backfield. So, look, that makes sense. You're going to be playing faster guys, guys that are extremely talented in the ACC. He's got to develop a little bit of that sideline-to-sideline ability instead of trying to be that aggressive guy that always gets downhill. But I think, like I said, the athletic tools are there. It's just can they refine them when he gets to campus. Now, here's the thing, Zach, and we'll talk about this guy really quick, and then we're going to go ahead and wrap it up. Kavion Keys is a guy that you talk about sort of a roller coaster of a recruitment here. Um, Carolina jumped in on this one in the spring months. It was one that, you know, when they initially jumped in, you kind of wondered, did Carolina get in a little too late? Well, all of a sudden, Carolina makes a push and becomes the favorite for him. Well, then you go into the month of June, and he takes an official visit to Penn State. All of a sudden, Carolina's kind of left on the back burner after they had an earlier official visit, but Penn State really got the last shot in there, and it felt like Penn State had all the momentum. Well, Carolina has swung that now back in their favor, and now Keys, out of Richmond, uh, Virginia, at uh, Verina High School, is set to announce his commitment this Saturday before Carolina plays their opener. It's scheduled for 1 o'clock. Um, and this is a guy, four-star linebacker. Um, this would easily be, if you're just going off of pure talent, easily the most talented guy for Carolina if they were to add him in this linebacker class that they would have. Zach, where, where are you at with this one? I, I think, you know, I, there was a time where I had kind of, I'm not going to say removed him off the board, but I had kind of placed him in the back of my mind as a guy that probably was going elsewhere um, but it looks like Carolina has certainly made a push here. And, and at this point, I think most people feel like Carolina should feel pretty confident going into this commitment on Saturday. Yeah, I kind of feel in that same boat. He was a guy that there was some concerns with, like you mentioned, in June and July. But it has trended really well for the Tar Heels, sort of moving towards his eventual announcement here. Um, he is a, you know, a longer, lankier guy at the linebacker spot. So, you know, like him as a prospect, uh, as a more rangy option, you know, at the second level. But like you mentioned, you know, it has been a contentious recruitment. And um, as we saw here recently, I believe either yesterday or today, did get an offer from Texas A&M. So, you know, obviously they've been a program that's recruited well over the past few years. They've done well in utilizing NIL as a, a big selling point for them. So is that a pot- potential concern leading into this announcement? I don't really know. It is, you know, two days out from his announcement, so it, it's hard to say, you know, what really impact that could have, if any. 
Um, that's really my biggest concern right now. Other than that, you know, the local schools, Penn State, Virginia Tech, I think those obstacles have been overcome. You know, barring some late change from sort of uh, more, you know, far, far-fetched national schools getting involved here, I think North Carolina will be the selection. And I, I think, like you mentioned, he would be probably the top of my list in terms of these linebacker prospects that we've seen North Carolina go after in the 2023 class. Well, I think, first of all, it's important because Carolina, as I mentioned, depth-wise at linebacker, they are pretty thin. Carolina's got three guys right now that are listed as blue team members, Cedric Gray, uh, Power Eccles, and Ra Ra Dilworth. Very talented guys. Sebastian Cheeks has shown a lot of really good things. The problem is, after Sebastian Cheeks, you, you get to... Randy Caldwell, Deuce Caldwell, as many people know, and that's that's really it. After that, it is pretty much they would have to probably convert somebody. More than likely, it would be Malachi Hamrick, another true freshman who played linebacker, uh, play, played it inside linebacker, that is, at Shelby High School this past year as a senior. And, and then you're getting into guys that are walk-ons. So Carolina wants to add depth there. And for Keys, he's a guy that is probably the more versatile, the the will linebacker, if you will, in this class. Whereas Laval, Lavalle, and Amari Campbell are guys that probably project more as Mike linebackers. So I think this one would be huge for Carolina. Yeah, I think you're right. I think they they dodged the bullet. You know, I, I think Virginia Tech was always one that was hanging around. But I, honestly, it, it kind of feels like they've been, ju- just like they've been with a lot of the guys that Carolina has gotten out of the state of Virginia in this, cla- uh, in this class so far, you know, they've been one of those final three, one of the teams that, you know, makes the finalist group. But they're a team that just doesn't seem to do enough to land these guys. Penn State was the one that I was concerned about. And look, I mean, you know, that that was one that you kind of wondered if he had lengthened this out, would they be able to get him back on campus? But the fact that he is deciding now where Carolina has all of the momentum, I think is huge for the Tar Heels. I think there is a legitimate chance that uh, Carolina will be pulling out, not only pulling out his commitment, I think there's a legitimate chance that they could get his commitment and it could be while he is on the way to Chapel Hill for the first game of the season. Um, that's one that I, I have not heard whether or not he's going to be on campus. A lot of the guys that are committed to the class are going to be there. Mac Brown said that in the press conference yesterday um, that they are pretty much attempting to make that a big visit weekend, um, trying to get most of the guys from the 23 class in. Um, Some of their other targets in the 23 class, we've seen them offer uh, here recently a couple of guys that are committed to East Carolina in the defensive backfield that they could be looking to try to flip. Um, And then, of course, they are also hoping to get some big-time 2024 guys on campus, and one guy that they are. Uh, Another huge one to get on campus for yet another time is 2024 five-star quarterback Jaden Davis. It'll be interesting to see if Kevion Keyes is in that group because I certainly think that that is a possibility. But this one's one that I feel pretty confident in. Carolina has really done their work here over the last month or so uh, to really regain that position. And I think that you know this is a guy that can come in. And again, you look around this, this linebacker room, and I think... 
one of the things that's very notable is that there are a couple of underclassmen here in, in Power Eccles and in Ra Ra Dilworth. You don't expect those guys to be going pro after this year, but those are guys that could really, really break out pretty quickly if they start taking on starting roles. Power Eccles is going to have that right out of the gate. Not sure how many reps you're going to see Ra Ra Dilworth out there, but I will say this, Gene Shizik absolutely raved about him the other day in his press conference. So that could be a guy that gets a lot of looks this year as well. So Carolina's got to be prepared for the potential that they may have to have guys that can play early. And KB Keys could see that and think that that is his best option. So got to commend Carolina. I feel like they are uh, in really good position to land this one. And we're going to have you covered on that. Um, on the website, HeelToughBlog.com, I'm going to put up a preview for that commitment. Uh, again, that will be going on Saturday at 1. So that will officially get things started on Saturday. Um, that would be a great way for Carolina to begin the day before, of course, their home opener against Florida A&M. On that side of things, we're going to have you covered with all that stuff. Preview is going up tomorrow for that game. It's going to be an in-depth one to kick off the season um, and we're going to break down a Florida A&M team that Mac Brown said he is still trying to figure out. He said that uh, there are 25 transfers on the roster. Adam Smith, uh, the new writer for Inside Carolina, who did a great job for years uh, with the Burlington newspaper. I'm forgetting the official name right now, and I don't want to get it wrong, so I'm just going to leave it at that. Um, he, did, he, he, he did mention that... Uh, at, that is out of 63 scholarships that they have at the FCS level. 25 of those guys are transfers. I saw in the game notes that Carolina uh, put out um, or put on the website, Florida A&M's game notes, they listed it as 34 transfers. So this is a roster that is widely unknown. A lot of different guys coming from all over the place. Um, it's going to be you know a challenge for Carolina, but we're going to have you covered on that, on the website, and of course after the game is over, we will have the recap, the stock report, the trench report, all of that great stuff on the website, HeelToughBlog.com. You can also find the podcast there. Uh, at the top of the page, you've got uh, a tab for the Heel Tough Blog podcast, which you're listening to right now. Also, the Four Corners podcast up there. Um, we got an interesting edition coming up. Uh, Greg Sankey uh, has been talking about trying to expand or really change the entire format of how they want to do the NCAA tournament. Josh, as you would imagine, is extremely fired up about that. So there is going to be a podcast edition that you guys are not going to want to miss on that side of things that will be going up. And of course, we're working on some things here on our side of things for uh, football that you know could throw a couple of different people into the mix this year. That's all I'm going to say. I'm working on some things behind the scenes. But, of course, we will always have you covered with previews and recaps of the games as well as any other news in between um, throughout the season. So uh, make sure that you guys are checking that out on the website or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And if you're listening on one of the podcasting sites, make sure that you rate, review, and subscribe for us. We would greatly appreciate the rate and review. That's going to help us to sort of move up some of the rankings on uh, some of these sites whenever people search for Tario Podcasts. 
And people that haven't found us yet will be able to find us a little bit easier. So we would greatly appreciate it if you could do that. But mainly, we want you to subscribe so that you don't miss any of the great editions of the podcast. And you can find both the Heel Tough Blog Podcast and the Four Corners Podcast on all of those websites. Make sure you head over, follow us on our social media pages as well, at Heel Tough Blog on Facebook. Uh, that is the main page uh, for everything. Um, and there is so much stuff that you guys can check out there, um, including all the articles, all the podcast editions, and eventually, potentially, we are going to be bringing back the video editions of the podcast. We are working on something. We've got a coworker uh, that we work with at our job that is going to try to help us uh, use a, a different platform uh, that hopefully will allow us to start using uh, our cameras again and, and allow you guys to be able to see us uh, when we do the podcast. We find that you guys really enjoy that a lot more. And uh, it will also allow us to go live on that Facebook page, uh, which we haven't done in a while. So uh, some big things could be coming on, uh, co- coming here uh, over the next few weeks. So make sure that you guys are following that on the Facebook page. Also, head over to the Twitter page, at HeelToughBlog. Uh, that is the official page, the articles, the podcasts, all in those locations. And then our personal pages to follow for all of those uh, things that we told you there. And, of course, a couple of other little perks, some personal things, and more Tar Heel football and basketball coverage. Uh, at HTB Anthony for me, at uh, HackZubbard2 for Zach Hubbard, and at HTB underscore Josh for Josh Marlowe. So that's going to wrap it up for this edition of the podcast. want to thank Zach for hosting with me. want to thank you guys for listening. And as always, go Tar Heels!